During these last weeks on Sunday evening, your pastor has been taking one of the minor prophets and expounding that book for you. There are 12 of them at the close of the Old Testament, and I turn to them because of the uh, developments in Israel and the capture of Jerusalem by the Jews, and we touched on the prophetic aspect of this. And so tonight, as I indicated, I'm going to continue. There are 12 of these minor prophets. And tonight I'm going to speak on Obadiah, the little one-chapter book, Obadiah. And you know, beloved, the minor prophets is a section of the Bible that's more or less just skipped. But there were 12 of them. And when you get to the New Testament, there are only eight writers that wrote the whole New Testament, just eight of them. Eight men produced the entire New Testament. But 12 different prophets spoke in these minor prophets. And I urge you to be here tonight and hear me expound for you the little book of Obadiah. Now may we open our Bibles to the book of Romans, Romans the 10th chapter, Paul's epistle to the church at Rome. <clears throat> And in verse 13 we read, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How shall they call on him of whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. This is a most familiar passage to us. Our missionaries quote it to us all the time. It has in it the sequence of missionary activity. We're going out to save souls. These souls must believe before they can be saved. They have to call upon the name of the Lord so they can be born again. But before they can call, before they can be saved, they first have to hear. Faith cometh by hearing. There has to be a media and a means of communication between man to man. Our Savior came and he walked about the streets and the pathways and the dusty roads of the hillsides of Galilee and he spoke. People heard him. And they believed his word and they accepted him as the Son of God. Some believed, some didn't. There was always a division because of him. But he reached the people with his word. You people are assembled here in a church building. You gathered here this morning at 11 o'clock believing that there would be a preacher standing before you and that before the period was over that you would hear something. In fact, you came anticipating hearing some truth and hearing the word of God presented 
hearing it applied so that when you went out from this service, you would be better uh, prepared and better furnished to serve the Lord this week. Now, that ought to have been in your motivation in coming over to this place today. Now, we have these young men from Faith Seminary, some of them I've never seen before. And I dare say that these young men said, let's go over to Collingswood today and let's hear Dr. McIntyre preach a sermon. I dare say they said something like that. But I'm here and they're here and I'm talking and they're listening and I'm telling them and we're getting across into their ears something that we feel is worthwhile. Now, it's just the simplest thing in the world. God gave us ears. God gave us mouths. God expects us to use our ears. God expects us to use our mouths. But how will they hear? How is anybody going to hear? And here we have the sequence, the beautiful sequence. But how in the world will they hear this thing? Unless there's a preacher to tell them. Well, beloved, God raises up preachers, and that's why we have Faith Theological Seminary to train our young men. God raises up men and some men that never, ever, never even ever go to seminary. God raises them up, and they get a call, and they preach with tremendous uh, anointing by the Spirit of God. And so you have that man preaching. And so he preaches. But how shall they hear without a preacher? We must qualify, we must prepare, we must raise up young people out of our congregation, our families, who will give themselves to the preaching of the gospel and who will go out with this glorious message and reach the ungodly with the story of everlasting life. But then the apostle goes on and says, how are they going to preach if you don't send them? We have transportation problems. If you're going to live in Collingswood and you want to reach somebody in Africa, you've got to have some way to get over to Africa. And so you have to have boats and you have to have today airplanes and you have to have means of transportation so they can get there, so they can do their preaching. But beloved, there's another problem involved just at this point which needs to be understood. And it's one that the Church of Jesus Christ should be very much interested in at the present time. Right now in Africa, in the Congo, the preachers there who resisted the church union movement and refused to go into the ecumenical church union, ladies and gentlemen, they're in jail. They can't preach. They won't permit the people to assemble in the little churches or even in their homes. They won't let them have their services. The government's reached in to try to suppress these men who were preaching the gospel and were warning the people against the apostasy which was coming upon them. So they've been restricted. They've been restricted. There are certain countries on the face of this earth today that you can't even get in to preach the gospel. You go into Russia now, the only preachers who are allowed to preach in Russia right now are the ones that are approved by the state and who give the line that the state wants them to give to the people. There has to be not only means of transportation, there has to be open doors. There has to be areas where this message can be proclaimed. And that's why, as Christian people, we are concerned about the areas of the world which have been taken over by totalitarian forces, and the gospel is being restricted. And this is a major responsibility 
upon the church today. And one of the reasons we are associated with the International Council of Christian Churches is that all these different denominations can join together, join hands, and then they can speak up with a united voice against these forces that are closing mission doors, against these countries where the gospel is restricted. And the Council of Churches can speak up, the International Council can speak up in behalf of these questions that relate to the preaching of the gospel. Now, we've just had a very interesting and wonderful experience in regard to Israel. As you people know, the state of Israel announced that it proposed to turn over the holy places, the Christian holy places, in Jerusalem to the Roman Catholic Church to administer. Well, I know and you know that if the Roman Catholic Church gets control of all those holy places for their administration, the Roman Catholic Church will use that for the advantage of the Roman Catholic Church, as they always do and as you would expect them to do. And they will also use it for the promotion of the ecumenical movement. And then we learn that the Roman Catholic Church intended in handling these things to represent non-Roman churches. And then we learned that the leaders of the world Catholic churches were in accord with this idea. Well, then it was that our little international council of Christian churches that nobody wants to report or write about sent a delegation over there with Bishop Stevens and with uh, Dominie Mortis from Amsterdam, and they went into Israel and they asked to see the prime minister and they got to see him and they went in with their representations and he listened to them and he gave them full assurance that the ICC could file another brief with them and that before they had any finalizing of this matter that the ICC would be heard. Well now, beloved, here's a case where the holy places of Jerusalem that pertain to the resurrection of Christ and the ICC takes the position that Israel who owns them and has a right to them prophetically should be the one who would take charge of them and make them available on an equally equal base and on a non-discriminatory basis to all the different religious groups that want to have anything to do with it. But beloved, we are interested in freedom. We are interested as a church in keeping doors open so somebody can be sent. And when they're sent, they can go in there. And when they get in there, they'll be able to deal with sin and with Satan and with the forces of darkness, and they will be able to preach the gospel, and the Spirit of God will accompany them and give life to the Word, give power to the seed, and men will be regenerated by the Holy Ghost, and they will become the children of God and will be saved. Now that the forces of darkness are closing in and the doors are closing in various sections of the world, it's exceedingly important that God's people recognize that this is an area of responsibility of ours for prayer, for action. Now we look just a little further and the apostle goes on and he says, how shall they preach except they be sent? For it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. You know, 
We're not accustomed to looking at people's feet, I guess. We don't do that. But the apostle says that the feet of those who are carrying this message are more beautiful than the feet of those that don't carry it. Now, there are all kinds of people walking around, all kinds of people walking around. Country's full of them, the world is full of them, and they're just teeming down the roads and they're teeming down the streets and all these feet walking, walking. And they're the feet of people who are busy with every conceivable kind of activity. But here are a few people. They're in the midst of these multitudes. They're in the midst of these nations. And their task is to preach the gospel. And the apostle says, look at their feet. They're beautiful. They have something that they're carrying. They have something that they're messengers for. And the thing that makes their feet beautiful is that which they have in their trust and in their care. They have the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know that I've thought of it quite in this way, but did you know my feet were beautiful? I haven't thought of it quite in those terms. But down here in Cape May, in that old cemetery that I've referred to a number of times, it's one of the oldest in the country, they have the monument there to a pastor by the name of Moses Williams. Williamson. And do you know, Pastor Williamson was in that church 42 years. And on one side of the monument it says, faithful unto death. And that's beautiful. But on the other side of the monument, just around the rim, are the words of the text. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. Young man, if you want to have beautiful feet, you carry the gospel around. That's it. How beautiful. Oh, the glory and beloved, if there's one thing we ought to be defending, if, we, if there's one thing we ought to be interested in, if there's one thing that the church of Jesus Christ right now should be concerned about, is that the men who have beautiful feet are able to walk. The men who have beautiful feet are able to complete their mission, are able to go and move and carry the message that they have so that sinners can hear it and sin can be rebuked and the glory of God may be manifest through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now I give you all of that because these questions are now coming home to us in a very acute manner in our own immediate area and in our own circumstances. I may talk about restrictions in the Congo and you say, oh yes, that's terrible, let's do something about it. I can tell you that a little bishop loses 200 of his churches and we take up a collection and give him back 200 churches. And we can talk about the things that are over in Russia and the underground church and the catacombs and we say it's terrible. 
and we say something should be done about it. But then when these issues come in a little closer and they come a little closer and they come right into the home where you are and they come in to affect the pulpit and the preaching from your own church and what your preacher can say on the radio, then it's time that you began to say, wait a minute, if this is coming home, I've got to get more interested in this. I've got to be more concerned about these matters than ever before. And we must begin to appreciate the fact that those who went before us in generations past fought these battles, and they won for us the free exercise of religion. They won for us a separation of church and state. They won for us, beloved, a freedom of speech. They won for us a freedom of the press. They won for us a freedom of assemblage. And these victories and these priceless, cherished liberties they sought to protect in a First Amendment to a great document which they called the basic law of the country, the Constitution. And Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or the abridging of the freedom of speech or the freedom of press or prohibiting in any way the right of free assembly. There it is. You have to meet to hear. You have to have a press so you can write letters back and forth. You have to have freedom of speech so people can listen to what you have to say. And the very heart of the whole idea of man communicating with man and man being free to send his ideas back and forth and man being free in order that he might preach the gospel was protected by the founding fathers of this great republic for us. Now in the field of radio where your pastor has been so active these last years and for many years, Forces in this country who are seeking to change our ideas of liberty, change our ideas of democracy, change our ideas of the structure of our society, have moved in to try to restrict, to try to limit, to try in some way to, 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 to stop or to block the advancement of the ideas and the program and the message that men like Dr. McIntyre are now seeking to present to this country of ours. You people know the struggle we've had. We had struggle in a church, in a denomination, and we were forced to get out. We left. But that was just the church. We were afraid to start another church, which we did, the Bible Presbyterian Church, and now it's growing. Now it's commanding greater hearing, and more are thinking about joining it. But that's just the church. That didn't affect our civil rights or our civil relationships. Didn't do it. Then we began to have other troubles. We had troubles with our little college down here. The liberal element sought to destroy it. They took away our accreditation. They thought they could get a school like this, this type of thing, out of the state. And we fought on that. And we won. And we won because we fought. And now we have a growing school that God is blessing as never before. But there was an area in the field of education. They were going to restrict us and kill the school. But God overruled. Similar forces, these same forces then, 
I may say to you, beloved, we're behind many of these pressures that we've had to deal with in the radio world. And you people know that these ministerial unions sought to have your pastor put off the station in their local area. We'd go on a station and the ministerial unions would go and try to get the radios to stop us. And you know that Dr. Richter and I, every time this has happened and we've been aware of it, our approach to the problem was to go to the town where the difficulty was and have a rally and win the victory. And we did it in town after town until finally that sort of thing more or less just dissipated. They didn't engage in it too much. Then, beloved, we got into this whole area of what they call the fairness doctrine, which was brought into Washington, D.C., and Walter Ruther, beloved, and uh, his brother filed this great memorandum that the way to get at these men, and they had reference to Dr. Carl McIntyre and others in our radio ministry, was through the IRS, use the income tax to get at these men and harass them and take away their exemption so they won't have the advantages from a tax-wise, you see. But in the case of your pastor, ladies and gentlemen, after they had investigated right and left and up and down and every other way, they didn't lift the tax exemption of your pastor. We don't sell anything. Furthermore, the Christian beacon is directly related to this church, and I'm the pastor of this church. And furthermore, I'm the chairman of a council of churches, and the religious aspect is too deeply interwoven into the activities in which we're engaged at the present time in this country. And they didn't touch us. But they went into the area here of the FCC, and now they came, beloved. Now they came with this so-called fairness doctrine. And they developed what they call the personal attack angle. That is, that if a person was mentioned his name and what could be considered to be an attack upon his character or his integrity or his morals was a personal attack. And then the radio stations would have to find that man and have to offer him time. And that's where station WGCB in Red Lion came in. It was alleged that there'd been a personal attack and appeal was made to the FCC. And the FCC said, yes, it is a personal attack. And then the FCC said to the station, well, you'll have to make it free time. The time on which the attack was made was bought, but the FCC said, you'll have to give free time. And the station said, no, we won't give free time. We'll sell time. We're not in the business of giving free time. We're in the business of making money so we can run our station. And they took it to the courts, ladies and gentlemen, and the court down in Washington, D.C., the circuit court said that WXUR, or rather WGCB, had to give free time. And now that's in the process of an appeal to the Supreme Court of the United States. Then on the 14th of August of this year, the FCC stepped in to tighten that. They stepped in to tighten that squeeze. And they said that as of August the 14th, any station which didn't notify a person who was personally attacked within one week and offering free time to reply was in violation of the Fairness Doctrine and liable to a cash fine up to $10,000. Now, beloved, that's the thing that has changed the picture, and it has changed the picture in a hurry in this country. In the first place, the Federal Communications Commission has not defined, spelled out, what it means by an attack upon somebody's character or morals or his integrity. There's no definition of that. It's a nebulous area. And some man's name is mentioned, and the FCC will be the final judge as to whether it is or whether it isn't.
Beloved, a clatter and a clamor went up across this country that immediately after that, CBS in New York City, which raised the question, and these news broadcasters, the FCC says, well, we'll modify that, and we will not make it applicable to news broadcasters who are broadcasting on-the-spot news. So a personal attack can be picked up in a live news broadcast or a news broadcast of some kind by Huntley and Brinkley or others, and attacks can be made upon a man's character, upon his integrity, and the stations don't have to make uh, any note of it or offer any free time or do any notification. So the news broadcasters got excluded at that particular time. But broadcasters like Dr. McIntyre and others at whom this was directed are under that ban. And consequently, if Dr. McIntyre uses the name of anybody and that someone comes along and says, I've been personal attacked, and the station says, no, that wasn't a personal attack at all. Dr. McIntyre was discussing your views. Then they complain to the FCC. The FCC calls the station in. The station then has to present to the FCC its view in the matter, and then the FCC decides between the station and between the complainant as to whether they'll get a $10,000 fine or not. And, beloved, the radio stations are simply put in such a position that they won't put up with it. Every broadcast, every speech, everywhere at the present time, the radio stations are under that pressure. And rather than carry programs where there's any question, any possibility, they just simply remove them from the air. And we now have, since August the 14th, a nationwide form of censorship which we did not have before and which is being pressed upon all of us in a very strong way at the present moment. Now, I want to take the time this morning and read you a letter from a radio station in Spanish Fork, Utah, K-O-N-I. I want you to read it. I want to read it to you. Dear Dr. McIntyre, beginning today, August 14th, Due to recent rulings of the FCC, docket number 16574, in order to broadcast your program, we must have with each broadcast the name or names and the mailing addresses of any persons or group you may mention in the broadcast. If it is conceivable that the mentioned person or group might possibly feel that a personal attack has been made on his honesty, character, or integrity. For your consideration are enclosed definitions of the pertinent words according to Webster's Seventh New Intercollegiate Dictionary. Since the FCC didn't spell it out in definitions, they go to the dictionary for their definitions to give to me. If you are not sending us verbatim transcripts of your programs, it would be very helpful to us in keeping you on the air and conform to the FCC order if you would do so. In the absence of scripts, we feel it necessary that we retain the tapes for a limited time, probably two years. We want your program on the air on KONI, the tremendous additional work of pre-listening, dubbing copies for persons attacked, and the correspondence involved to comply with the present implementation of the Fairness Doctrine by the FCC may force us to discontinue many of our pro-American conservative programs. It would take additional time for your office to make a transcript and distribute it to each station 
carrying your broadcast. However, without the extra effort on your part, the stations will each have to do the same work or give up your broadcast. Very truly yours, and then it is signed by the owner of the station. Beloved, this is the type of censorship which has now come, but when you write the Federal Communications Commission, they'll say, we don't believe in censorship, we're not uh, engaged in anything like that. No, beloved, the FCC has created a condition by these regulations and by the demands that the stations are forced to do the censoring. The stations become the censor for the Federal Communications Commission. Now may I take you, and this is where it comes to this pulpit, your pulpit, your church, your pastor. You will recall that for many years our congregation broadcast its evening message on WCAM, the Camden Municipal Station. The station changed manager and a new man took over. Shortly after he was in, he addressed a letter to your pastor saying that I would have to submit my sermon for Sunday night to him by Thursday noon before Sunday so that he could look it over and decide whether it would be permitted to be broadcast and you'll remember the issues of that day. Your pastor told the radio station in Camden that he would never permit anybody to censor his sermons. Never. The only censor that I'll ever have is the Holy Ghost and he's adequate. The Holy Ghost is the only censor your pastor will ever permit to hang over his head when he stands in this pulpit and preaches to you people. Don't think for one minute that I'm going to submit my script or my sermon to any lawyer, any radio station, any FCC, or anybody under heaven before I preach it to you people. I'm going to come into this pulpit and I'm going to preach as a free man with the protections that I have under the Constitution of the United States or they can come and lock up our church if they want to. We will never surrender on this point. Well, beloved, the complaint was made to the Federal Communications Commission against this restriction and the Federal Communications Commission upheld the radio station and said they had the right and they had the responsibility for every word that was on their station and they had the right to demand of Dr. McIntyre his sermon before he preached it. And that's in the record. Now, beloved, as that is in the record, they move out with all these radio stations on which your pastor is broadcasting, preaching the gospel, dealing with the apostasy, naming names, identifying evil, and carrying on a forthright ministry for the truth and for the word of God. And I intend to continue to do it by the help of God, and we'll ask God to deliver us in this hour in which we've now come. But, beloved, I say to you this very moment that the radio stations under the authority and the approval of the Federal Communications Commission have the right to clip anything your pastor says and refuse to permit it to go on the air if they think it's a personal attack or if they think it's something else. And that's where we are today. That's where we stand today. And, beloved, it's the gospel preachers like your pastor who stands up for righteousness in this country and believes that God's people ought to be told about the sin of the apostasy and warned about what the Bible says about being unequally yoked together with unbelievers. 
And the whole program is to keep from the ears of people. Beloved, the forces in this country that don't want prayer and Bible reading in school, they've moved in. That's been removed. Now the same elements, the same line of thinking is moving in into Washington, into the area of communications, and they're going to get this fairness doctrine sustained by the Supreme Court of the United States, beloved, and then it will be the law of the land, and your preachers will not be free. You'll have to have services without radio or something else if you want the preachers to get up and preach as they ought to preach in this country. Now that's the day that you and I have come to. And it's a squeeze. It's a squeeze. It's a squeeze to silence us. And you and I had problems years ago and this great church stood on them because of the gospel. We've got greater problems today in our national life as they relate to preaching the word of God. And your pastor will stand on these things. And your pastor will not yield and he will not compromise on these things. Now, beloved, as you all know, pressures were put on locally and we were removed from the radio station in Chester. You know the story. And then in the providence of God, in order that we could be heard, in order that we could get our message throughout this area, Faith Theological Seminary, thank God for that school of the prophets, put a mortgage of $425,000 on its mortgage-free property to buy the stock on this radio station. So Dr. McIntyre could buy time and we could be heard and others who were shut out of this area. Immediately complaints were sent to Washington by these various elements in the area against the approval of the transfer of the license. You are all aware of that. But the FCC had nothing to go on. It had no record of any kind. And so it uh, gave the license with the provision, as it does now in all stations, that the station abide by the so-called fairness doctrine. The matter was delayed, as you know, for several weeks. Stations are to be uh, licensed every three years. And so a little over a year and a half, the license expired. And then these 17 different groups went to Washington and said that the radio station should not have its license renewed. They made some accusations against the station so far as its program and its uh, observing of the fairness doctrine is concerned. The station said, our lawyers all said, well, that's nothing. The record is here. We can present it. We don't object to a public hearing. In fact, we'd like to have a public hearing if that's what they want. But, beloved, the FCC reached in and then took that request and they added to it items we'd never heard of before. And they raised questions that relate into this area of freedom that have never been raised before on any radio station in this country. And they relate now to these very precious matters of our religious freedom and the use of speech on radio in this country. And WXUR is going to be the most celebrated case we've ever had. And furthermore, as the case now proceeds, if we win, they'll appeal. If they win, we'll appeal. And this thing is going right on down all the processes until it gets to the Supreme Court of the United States. And we're in the midst of a struggle. And I want to tell you people today as I stand in this pulpit, I thank God that I was privileged 
and that we were privileged years ago to stand in the courts of the churches and to stand up for these great principles of liberty in the ecclesiastical world, and we stood. And I thank God that in his blessed providence he selected us to do the standing. We're not going to fail him. We're going to stand. And I thank God that in his blessed providence he has laid his hands upon this pulpit and upon your pastor and upon this congregation and asked us now to stand up in the national life of this nation of ours and to say that we're not going to permit our freedom of speech or the free exercise of religion to be infringed upon by anybody in this country. Now may I read you the names of the 17 groups. I want to read them to you today because they're all around and then I'm going to read you the charges which are filed against us and the things that the FCC is looking into now and upon which it will make a judgment. All of these things will have a judgment made before we finish. Here are the names of the group, the American Baptist Convention Division of Evangelism. Their headquarters are in Valley Forge. American Jewish Congress, Delaware Valley. Anti-Defamation League of B'nai B'rith, Pennsylvania, Virginia, and West Virginia, Delaware. Board of Social Ministry, Lutheran Synod of Eastern Pennsylvania, B'rith Shalom, Catholic Community Relations Council, Fellowship Commission, Greater Philadelphia Council of Churches, Jewish Community Council of Greater Philadelphia, Jewish Labor Committee, Media Fellowship House, National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, media chapter. And the president has just put on the Supreme Court of the United States, Justice Marshall, who was the chief counsel of NAACP. The New Jersey Council of Churches. New Jersey Council of Churches. That includes the Methodist Church of Collingswood, the First Baptist Church of Collingswood, the First Presbyterian Church of Haddonfield, the First Baptist Church of Merchantville. This is the New Jersey Council of Churches in on this complaint to have this station's license not renewed. There it is. It's all about us. American Jewish Committee, Women's International League for Peace and Democracy, Philadelphia Urban League. These are the names, the organizations with their spokesmen signed to the complaint, which the Federal Communications took, added to it, and then called this hearing, which we're going to be called upon to face now in the weeks that are just ahead. And in this hearing, they gave an order here for eight different items. I'd like to read you at least three or four of the key ones, especially those that move into these broader areas. Four. The hearing now is to be held by the FCC, quote, to determine whether the applicant has complied with the Fairness Doctrine. And Section 315 of the Act, by affording a reasonable opportunity for discussion of conflicting views on issues of public importance during its license period. The stations tried to do it, but the station's judgment of what is fair or right may differ from the commission's judgment of what is reasonable. And we are literally at the mercy of the commission. Five, to determine whether during its license period the applicant has complied with the personal attack principle of the fairness doctrine by furnishing copies of pertinent tapes, continuities, or summaries to persons or groups attacked with specific offers of stations facilities for responses where discussions of controversial 
of public issues have involved personal attacks. Beloved, the station itself says we don't consider that to be a personal attack. A complaint is made. The FCC says, well, it is a personal attack. And again, you have a variance here as to what constitutes a personal attack without any clear defining by the commission in advance so the station has a clear guide rule even to go by. And here at this point, we're again at the mercy of the Federal Communications Commission. All right, now let me I move into number six. Now please watch this one. Here's where they come with their whole new area to determine whether during its license period the applicant has utilized its station to serve the sectarian and political views of its principles and to raise funds for their support rather than to serve the community generally and to serve impartially all the various groups which make up the community. All right, beloved, we have been raising funds on that station and everybody knows it. We have been raising funds on that station I have in order to buy time to preach our message. And now the FCC comes in and says, during this period has the station been used to serve the sectarian and political interests or views of its principles to raise funds for their support rather than to serve the community generally. And we have a new idea. You're not operating in the public interest anymore if you sell time to a fundamentalist broadcaster and he goes out and uses that time to serve his sectarian interest. And if he goes out and raises a collection on the broadcast to support one of his missionary projects or perhaps maybe incidentally some orphans in Korea or if he raises money for a bishop in India. These are sectarian matters and they are not in the public interest. Well, the FCC is going to make a decision now as to what type of collections and what type of activity is in the public interest. Will the ecumenical program be in the public interest? While those who challenge these things as we are doing today and doing it because of our faith in God, is that not to be in the public interest? Oh, beloved, God Almighty has led us to take up collections and I'm glad I've been taking them up. And furthermore, I intend to take up a great deal more of them. We want to get to the people as fast as we can, and the Constitution of the United States provides a wide range of reserved rights. All of these things, which are not prohibited to the federal or identified with the states, they are reserved to the people. And it's in this great area of reserved rights that you and I come and go, that you and I are able to buy papers and move around. It's in this area of great reserved rights that they're moving in now to restrict our liberties. And we have a crisis of freedom of speech which has been precipitated in this country by some fundamentalist preachers. And I'm happy I helped participate precipitated. It's here. Now let's face it. Let's meet it. And let's let God deliver us. We have a God, beloved, who pulled down the walls of Jericho one day. We have a God who divided the Red Sea one day. We have a God. And all I ask of you, dear people, as you listen to your pastor, as I deal with these great questions of religious freedom in this country, I ask your prayers. I ask your careful, careful prayer support. And I'm going to do everything in my power. I'm going out this afternoon to speak. 
and your pastor. I haven't been out in a public rally, I don't think, for two months. But I'm going out this afternoon to launch this great campaign. And when they have this meeting in media on Monday night the 2nd, that very night I'll be over here in Coatesville or I'll be down here in Wilmington. I'll be up here at Trenton. Every day they have a hearing. I'm going out to a great rally that night and I'm going to tell the people of this country what they're doing to stop the mouths of fundamental preachers like Dr. McIntyre and I'm going to tell them what's going on on the inside and what I know to be true and I'm going to seek to give the people of this country all the truth that I can get my hands on. How shall they preach except they be sent? How shall they preach except they be sent? And when they close the doors and when they clip off the radio and when they put this pressure on 10,000 radio stations across this country and your pastor finds himself in this squeezed. Beloved, how do you think it is to sit down and know you're speaking to thousands and several million people every morning and you're sitting there talking and you I can't say this and I can't say that and I can't say this and I can't say that. I must be careful. I mustn't involve my stations because if I make one slip, just one slip. And the station says, well, it wasn't a personal attack. But they said it was. And it goes up and you've got several hundred stations involved with the FCC with a multiplicity of fines adding up to thousands of dollars because one preacher made a slip and did what they called was a personal attack. I want some of you people who listen to this message wherever you are in this country, I want some of you people to wake up for just a moment and say, Beloved Dr. McIntyre stepped out onto the threshold of a great issue that relates to the freedom of the preaching of the gospel and the freedom of preachers to denounce the devil and all his cohorts in this land of ours. Now this week your pastor's going to talk about it. And I'm going to talk about our president. And I want you to listen to him. They don't censor the speeches of the president. They don't touch him. And I believe that as a preacher of the gospel in this country, under the Constitution which you and I have, I have no more right to have my speeches censored by radio censors than does the President of the United States. I've got just as much freedom as he has in this country to speak and to preach. And if they don't censor him, we're going to insist that they don't censor us or they don't censor any of the preachers, that we go ahead and preach in this country. Let us pray. <clears throat> oh, Lord our God, there are great occasions that teach new duties. There are great occasions that call thy servants upon this earth to stand, and having done all to stand. Father, oh, that heaven would come down and help us. Oh, that thou wouldst go before us. And may our enemies be afraid of our faces as we stand before them and as we seek to get to the heart of these great issues. And may many, many souls be turned to Christ that they shall be saved. Lord, you've used callings with all these years in one great issue after another. And now wilt thou use us again. Teach us to pray. Teach us to call upon God. Teach us, O oh God, to make these things clear to our people. And may the people understand and keep the pastor from stumbling. Keep him from mistakes. Keep him close to thee. For Christ's sake, amen.
603, just one verse, please, will stand. Oh, for a faith that will not shrink. 603. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion and fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.